So let's see. Politicians looking to put an industry in their crosshairs for political purposes. Hmm. Who should they attack? Well, obviously, it's businesses that make medicines, vaccines, prescription drugs. Sure, that makes a heck of a lot of sense. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Press Club C podcast. My name is Ray Keating. This is the 16th episode. And by the way, it's brought to you by my latest nonfiction book, Behind Enemy Lines, Conservative Communiques from Left Wing New York. More on that later. In this episode, I'm going to talk about the stupidity, and there is no other word for it, the stupidity of attacking pharmaceutical companies on the parts of politicians. But first, Let's quickly answer that key question once more. What the hell is the deal with the Press Club C? Each letter stands for stuff we talk about. P, politics. R, religion, mainly Christianity. E, economics. S, sports. The second S, stories, books, writings, authors, my books, other people's books, and so on. Uh, C is for culture, pop culture, and otherwise. L is for life, the big catch-all. U is for understanding, lessons in history, education, economics, and so on. B is for business and entrepreneurship. And the final C in Press Club C is conservative. Why? Because I am one. Now, let's get to this whole dopey idea of trying to impose, what we're talking about is trying to impose price controls on prescription drug companies. You know, the businesses that make medicines, that work hard to create vaccines, and that take enormous risks and spend enormous amounts of money doing so. So let's attack those guys. Um, It's been around for a while. You can go back, well, I mean, the very least go back to uh, the the push for Clinton care back in the early 1990s. Um, But it's been around for a while. Uh, in terms of this idea that, my goodness, you know, those drug companies are just charging too darn much money and government's got to step in and limit that. Um, It's a classic example of politics clashing with economics. Some people would say good politics clashing with good economics or sound economics. Now, you know, I've gone back and forth on this politics versus economics thing. Um... You know, when you think about over the long run, sound economics should line up with sound politics. Because if you get the, you know, if we're talking about the economy um, and a whole host of other things, um, if you get the right policies in place, namely when it comes to the economy, leaving the private sector alone, um, you're going to get more economic growth, more income growth, more jobs. Uh, higher standard of living, higher quality of life, all the great things that come with it. So politics and economics should line up. But the problem is that the incentive structure in uh, in government and in politics are very different, and they're geared towards the short run, you know, the short-term hit of uh, getting votes, getting reelected, and so on. So so the, the, the incentive structures in politics and economics... Uh, often do not align, and I would argue usually don't align, unfortunately. So you've got this situation where 
politicians go out there and say, you know what, you fo- you people are, are paying too much for your prescription drugs. These big companies are evil. Let's get them. And people, a lot of people respond to that. They're like, yeah, my goodness, I'm, I'm spending too much. Mom is, grandma is. Uh, so you're right. Let's let's put some price controls. And then obviously they're not thinking about um, the economics of it at all and the effect that that would have, not just on the companies and the industries, but on everyone eventually. So, you know, this goes back to a lot of, you know, if you don't want to call it Economics 101, you can call it Economics 201, but a price control is a, is a price ceiling. Government sets a price below the market price. And guess what happens? You you wind up with a shortage. Now, what do we mean by in terms of what do we mean by that for prescription drugs, pharmaceutical industry? When the government steps in there, um, again, you might understand the the political impulse to do that, right? Um, limit the costs to consumers of of life-saving, life-enhancing medicines and drugs that are around right now. Now, the harsh reality is that, you know, again, given the enormous costs and risks involved, in particular with developing and improving upon uh, prescription drugs, medicines, vaccines, etc., price controls wind up, lo and behold, reducing the incentives to make the vital investments in that. If you limit the revenue that a business can take in, you limit the returns, you limit the incentives to invest in those businesses. In fact, one of the reasons why the U.S. is the global leader in the prescription drug biopharmaceutical industry, it's because we don't impose price controls, uh, while most other nations, or many other nations, do. Um, And we also have strong intellectual property protection. So those are that's all good news for us and for the world in terms of U.S. firms um, incentivized to to do these you know these undertakings that save countless lives each and every year. But again, politicians are interested in short-term votes, and and too many people, unfortunately, are also interested in um, um, looking at the immediate short-run situation as opposed to. Uh, what's actually going to happen in the long run if we go this path of price control. So, you know, the pharmaceutical industry is a, is a huge industry, um, a big chunk of our economy. Um, you know, various analyses have shown that, uh, you know, if you just look at jobs, you have about over 800,000 jobs directly tied to um, U.S. pharmaceutical businesses and indirectly um you have a total of nearly 4 million direct and indirect. Um, compensation is higher in that industry, more than twice the U.S. average. Um, and again, we're the global leader in, in medical innovation. Uh, we're the folks. We're the, we're the people that are making it happen. And remember, it costs a tremendous amount of money and a tremendous amount of risk involved in developing a drug. I think the latest analysis I saw was something like, when a drug gets to market, the total cost is like two to two and a half billion dollars. So that's uh, and and you have to understand that part of those costs are the initial research that's done, and most things never get to market. Never uh, there's not value fi- found in it. But this is all the process that you have to go to, and a tremendous amount of uncertainty and risk. 
So understanding that, you would want, again, given the, the end product and the tasks involved to get there, you, you have to kind of scratch your head over politicians going down this path of price controls, but nonetheless, they do it. Um, the House, for example, passed a bill, H.R. 3, that would allow the government to cap the price of, I think it's 250 uh, brand name drugs uh, based on have the price tied to price to the price in nations that impose price controls. Got that? <laughs> so in other words, there, we're just it would officially be importing price controls from other countries. Um, so that's you know would wipe out uh, one estimate by the Congressional Budget Office said that those price controls would reduce drug companies' revenues by a trillion dollars over 10 years. So that is a clear signal to investors to say, hey, you know what? You might be able, you might want to invest your money somewhere else because you're bound to get a larger return because government is now intruding in to the prescription drug business and dictating how much money you're going to be able to get. So again, huge disincentive to invest in the high-risk undertaking of producing new and improved medicines. Um, also, the Senate finance, you know, so it's not just the House. Uh, there's a price control bill over in the Senate as well. Uh, and just in case you thought this was just a Democrat thing, and it was, uh, quite frankly, for, for the longest time, uh, Democrats led the way uh, for price controls. Again, going back to Clinton Care. Uh, certainly, if you look at folks like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, all on board with price controls, because, and, you know, it's understandable that they would do that because they have no understanding of economics or they ignore it. I mean, Bernie Sanders is a socialist. Elizabeth Warren is a big, big, big government uh, individual. So there's little interest in uh, or understanding of how the economy uh, actually work, works and how incentives work. But unfortunately, you got Republicans as well now, uh, because you have this populist strain of republicanism that's that's bubbled up. So you have the Trump administration. President Trump has been bashing prescription drug companies uh, since his campaign in 2016, and threatening all sorts of um, price controls. And he, he's you know kicking around an executive order to have the federal government um, also limit where they can get supplies from, and so on. So all sorts of regulatory measures pointed at um, the pharmaceutical industry. Why again? Well, you know what? Those guys are, are, you know, out there producing medicines that save lives and improve lives. So why not attack them? Um, dripping in sarcasm, just in case you missed it. Uh, there was a, you know, an effort for increased regulation in terms of uh, the Trump administration putting an HHS rule uh, requiring a pharmaceutical companies disclose the price of a 30-day supply of a drug in television ads. Um, so it's the sticker price, which actually has very little to do with what people pay. You know, it's kind of like the sticker price for college. Uh, very few people actually pay the sticker price. Um, but college is a separate issue. I could do a whole other podcast. I mean, maybe I will. Um, so anyway, unfortunately, a judge slapped down the, the Trump administration on that. But this is not going away. I mean, I think you're seeing a breather right now just because of the COVID thing. And all of a sudden, people are like, hey, wait a second. You know, we've, these companies, they're pretty cool. They're out there trying to find a vaccine. 
um, or treatments for for COVID nineteen. So um, so there there's probably might be a little breather um, on the price controls front, but don't don't expect it to last very long. There's a campaign, a presidential campaign coming up, and I'm guessing it'll it'll degrade rather quickly when the issue comes up. But you know, bottom line here, the economics are clear, um, unmistakable. Whether you look at you know economic theory or the reality of of what's happened in other countries, um, you know, if you like economic models, model after model makes clear. And and I'm more of a what does sound economic theory say? And what do we actually see in the real world? That's my economics. That's where I come from. I'm not a big fan of mathematical econometric models. They're fine as far as they go. But the problem is they don't go very far in terms of getting to reality, getting to the reality of the economy um, in terms of how it works. So, you know, even a, 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 there was a piece over at the National Bureau of Economic Research that confirmed that price controls on prescription drugs are a clear disincentive for investment and for the creation and innovation uh, in this, for creation of new uh, treatments and innovation in this area. So again, the, the economics are sound. Um, I think that particular analysis fell short a bit because there are things that they cannot put in um, econometric models, you know, in terms of, you know, how is, um, entrepreneurship discouraged in the pharmaceutical business? How many people that are smart, brilliant folks that could be helping the world in this area decide to go a different route because government has stepped in and decided to dictate um, what the situation is in the industry in terms of revenues and returns? Um, how do you how do you, as the the person that heads up a firm, starts up a firm, how do you go out and raise the necessary financial capital to make these, you know, make it happen, make these innovations happen. Well, it's much more difficult when obviously government is there, um, not just regulating as it does in so many industries and over-regulating, but specifically saying, this is how much you're going to be able to charge uh, and how much, you know, here's the limit in effect uh, on the returns of for you and your investors. It's insane. It's, it's, it's again, it's just, Politics at its worst, worse, overwhelming um, sound economics. So, and by the way, quick point, um, you know, when, when we talk about the pharmaceutical industry, people love to, to, to start talking about, well, it's big pharma. That's the, the phrase. And obviously that's a politically charged phrase, big pharma. When you actually look at the, uh, the pharmaceutical and medicine manufacturing industry, lo and behold, well, shocking. Most businesses are small and mid-sized firms. I'm going to throw a few numbers out. Um, actually, less pharmaceutical and medicine manufacturing businesses, 46% have fewer than 10 employees. Now, that's small. Guess what? 58%, almost 60% have less than 20 employees. Small business. Um, 79%, almost 80% have less than a hundred employees. And I would still say that's a small business. And if you want to get the, into the small, add in the small and medium, I mean, you want to add in the medium size, a little over 90% of employer firms in this industry have fewer than 500 employees. So big pharma, they exist of course. And, um, God bless them. They do great work, and they're they're moving ahead with uh, 
again, the investments that are needed to, uh, to create new and improve medicines, but the entrepreneurial sector in this industry is vital. Um, they're really the ones, you know, when you look at industry after industry, innovation, um, new products come from small businesses, the entrepreneurial sector. Um, you know, sometimes they get to a point where the bigger guys then turn around and buy them and produce it. And that's fantastic. That's all part of the market process. But you don't want to discourage in any way, shape, or form the entrepreneurship um, in this industry in particular. You know, listen, if if you think that it doesn't matter um, what returns uh, you can get on a, pharma- on, on, a, on a prescription drug, then go ahead. Go down the path of price controls. That's what Bernie Sanders... Elizabeth Warren, um, you know, most of the Democrats, all the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party has long been in favor of price controls. And then you get on the flip side where Donald Trump has gone down that path, lines up with his populist rhetoric that, you know, generate uh, policy out of fear, right? People fear, oh, my goodness, how am I going to afford this? How am I going to afford that? Um, so then that's how you get the Republicans on board with something like this. So it's a bad idea across, across the board, though, when you look at it with a basic, you know, common sense economics view. So it's not, um, but, but, you know, so if you're, if you're fine with that, if you think the, the innovation is going to continue, you're wrong, but okay. I understand why you're, you're, you're advocating it because you, you don't understand how the economy works. You don't understand how incentives work, but you know, a little economic common sense to, should tell you otherwise very, very quickly that, Going down the path of price controls in industry, any industry is bad. But if you want new and improved medicines to help people, um, and you know what, folks, this COVID nineteen thing should drive this point home really clearly, and should like put the final stake in the heart of the prescription drug price control vampire. Okay, um, but nonetheless, politics is politics, and I'm sure it's unfortunately. Uh, going to rear its ugly head again. But you know what? The best medicine antidote to uh, stupid politics is is an in- informed, intelligent electorate. And people really need to clue in here as to how this all works. And if you basically, you know, listen, do you want new and improved medicines, cures, and vaccine, vaccines, etc., or not? Uh, if you do, then you better be against price controls and other egregious forms of regulation and uh, on the pharmaceutical industry, as well as, you know, burdensome taxes on the industry or any, on anybody else for that matter. Um, you know, failed protection or, or reduced protection of, of property rights, you know, that all of those things will undermine the leading, uh, uh, medicine, pharmaceutical industry on the face of the planet, the one that's here in the United States. And we also can't limit um, the ability of firms and businesses to trade internationally so that they can continue. You know, that They're going to exchange, right? This is basic economics 101. You engage in a trade, a transaction, so you increase the value. Each person, does, each bis- person, each business does that. Um, by definition, if you go into a trade, you're improving the value um, for yourself and for the economy overall. So let's not put up obstacles or mandates or requirements that limit the ability to for pharmaceutical businesses in the United States to operate most efficiently, to, to be able, again, to innovate and produce 
um, improve upon current treatments and produce new treatments. Um, and you know what? We don't want to do something like that and then have other countries retaliate. And, you know, guess what? Pharmaceutical industry is one of our top export industries. It's in the top 10, folks. So, again, if you do something ridiculous on the trade front, other countries are going to react and it's going to come back to bite you. So you're biting yourself when you when you uh, you're hurting yourself when you impose, for example, tariffs and restrictions, because those are all inputs to U.S. businesses. And then when other countries retaliate, you're hurting those businesses and workers and consumers, et cetera, because, um, you know, there's reduced opportunity for us in the international marketplace. So, again, all of these things, bottom line for, you know, for any industry, but when we're looking at the prescription drug industry, the medicine manufacturing business, um, you know, price controls, bad, bad idea, increased regulation and mandates and requirements on where you can purchase supplies and so on, bad, bad idea. Um, you know, uh, taxes above and beyond uh, what's, you know, what's already being paid, bad idea. So if you really want to see uh, medical innovation in the U.S. continue, then you better be saying no. Uh, to price controls and such things. Hey, there's my little rant, okay? It's, it's, this is an economist rant on uh, on the evils of price controls, but, you know, everybody really needs to understand this. It's vital stuff. And you know what? You'll find more information like this, hopefully entertaining reading, in my latest nonfiction book, Behind Enemy Lines, Conservative Communiques from Left Wing New York. Um you know, I cover a whole bunch of stuff in this book, uh, essays from the 1990s all the way up to earlier this year, but they're all relevant. No matter when they were written, they're still pertinent. They're still relevant today, um, and they still speak to the problems and the opportunities that we we face and, and opportunities that we, uh, that we should embrace. Um, you know, in terms of the sections... Uh, really quick, I you know I have a I have broad stuff up front in terms of what is conservatism, and then I look at politics, unsavory and not so unsavory. I look at economics. The title of that part that chapter, economics isn't dismal unless left to politicians, the media, and professors. That ties into what we're talking about here. Um, lessons from the 2008 math mess and its aftermath. Uh, faith matters. Um, another chapter. Why does anyone live in New York? Good question. What the heck am I doing here? Um, Chapter 8, Section 8, is uh, trying to learn from history. Here's another one relevant to what we talked about in this episode. Uh, section 9, Chapter 9, Business Isn't Evil. That's right, folks. Prescription drug companies aren't evil. Uh, 10, Trade. Uh, so the, the, the title of that section is Trade, Opportunity, and Stupidity. I think you get where the opportunity is and where the stupidity is. Um, chapter 11, Immigration, Hope and Opportunity. And I get into some pop culture stuff. I talk about sports and all sorts of book reviews as well. So please check out Behind Enemy Lines. You can get paperbacks and the Kindle edition over at Amazon.com, signed books at RayKeatingOnline.com. So please check out Behind Enemy Lines. Hey, folks, thanks for listening to this episode. Um, we've got some great guests coming up um, for, for some upcoming episodes, so I'm very excited about that. For now, thanks for listening. Your feedback and suggestions are always welcome. Uh, please check out my various endeavors and books, including uh, columns over at KeatingFiles.com, my other podcasts, Free Enterprise in Three Minutes, uh, my Pastor Stephen Grant novels. There are 12 of them, um, and there are more coming. Uh, also, my other non recent nonfiction book, Free Trade Rocks. 
Um, it's still there's still time left to use my to-do list solution planners for 2020. If you want to get organized for the last six months of the year, and grab one of those. Um, also, please check out DisneyBizJournal.com for all things uh, relating to the Disney entertainment business. Again, folks, thanks so much for listening. Uh, I appreciate it, and God bless. <laughs>